I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Visit No One Likes Us Clothing for all your Millwall clobber. www.noonelikesus.co.uk Hi, I'm Gary Rowett, and you're listening to the world-famous Acton Millwall. Good morning, dear listeners. A Thursday morning in the in the kind of current turmoil of the will he or won't he be with us on Saturday, Gary Rowett story, listeners. I, I thought I'd make use of that little jingle just because I don't really know how many more times I'll be able to play it. Um, joining me to uh, chew over the current Millwall cut and discuss his new book is Mill Stalwart, Merv Payne. Welcome back to the show, Merv. It's great to have you back again, mate. Hi, Nick. It's good to be there. And a much better reception. Last time that Merv and I spoke, <laughs> listeners, it reminded me of the old um, Ronnie Barker, uh, Ronnie Corbett sketch, where they, they, they went on Mastermind. I think they asked the, answered the previous question. It was a bit like that on uh, slow internet speeds in my end, I'm, I'm blaming. Merv, it's, it's great to have you on the show, mate. We, we're in a, a strange kind of very Millwall um, pickle at the moment. <laughs> There's a story doing yeah. around that West Bromwich Albion are uh, interested um in, in Gary Rowett taking him mm-hmm. on as, as their replacement manager. And it's a very strange article. I mean, it's, it's not quite a denial, it's not quite an acknowledgement no. on on, no. on the um London News Online. I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's a, it's an oddly worded piece, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think we're at that stage now. I mean I first saw some stories online yesterday mentioning it, but it was all a lot yeah. of the unofficial a lot of like the fan based football sites and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there was nothing, nothing from the red tops or the, the tabloids. And today, the, the 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 papers have got hold of it. I think reading through all the various stories it is speculation. And, and knowing from my time working at newspapers and stuff, it's it's very easy to fill some column inches with a bit of speculation like this when a manager leaves one club. And I think Gary Rowett's sort of become the um, Alan Kerbishley or Tim Sherwood of the Championship now. Because I think <laughs> I think every time. Because I think there was a lot of speculation in the summer that he, he, he basically he was going to QPR and taking a couple of players with him. It was, you know, we, yeah, we were told yeah. it was as good as done. That was it. He was going to QPR. And then he signs a new contract um, and that all that all disappeared. But I think I think there's a lot of um, joining up of the dots being done by the fact that it's West Brom. They're in the Midlands and, of course, Rowett's... He lives there. Yeah. Yeah, Rowett's yeah. Manag- managerial career pre-Mill was entirely in that area, you know, Burton... Uh, Birmingham Stoke so um, 
I think there's a lot of guesswork going on, but you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss it. Totally. No, I mean, there's, there's always this kind of. Um, no, I wouldn't be surprised either, no. to be honest. And there's always this yeah. kind of. Um, the easy put down that you can give to this is it's paper talk, which is derived yeah. from agent agent talk. Mm -hmm. I mean, the agent yeah. agents are the great villains of the of yeah. the modern game. But um, presumably, Gary Rowett appoints his agent to get the best possible deals he possibly can. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He's earning a living, as 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 we all have to. Yeah. So, um, and it would make some degree of sense. I, I suppose the uh, the key question really is whether West Bromwich Albion would be. Um, will be interested in him um, and I'm just looking I was looking at the Mill History website listeners because obviously we're here to talk about Merv's new book and we'll come on to that but I'm just looking at the the list of recent managers certainly since um, since the period we will be talking about Merv the, the yeah. kind of Rhino Macca and and onwards mm. and if you exclude uh, the two I suppose special cases of Kenny Jacket and then Neil Harris both of whom were Five and a half years in Kenny's case, four and a half years in in Neil's case. So fairly, yeah. um, fairly extensive periods. Really, only talking about Mark McGee with three years uh, yeah. under uh, under his belt in the, in the period that we'll come on to mm. uh, the early two thousands. And then you've got Gary Rowett, who is just shy of um, by a few days of, of uh, three years, two years, eleven yeah. months, twenty one days, as we mm. as we speak. It's quite a period of time, actually. It's you know by middle standards, that's a that's a long tenure in the job, isn't it? In recent times, it is. I mean, I think in current football standards in general, I mean, you have got to look at one end of the scale. You have got Watford, who are changing yeah. managers quicker than the Conservatives are changing leader, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then you've got you know clubs like uh, Wickham. Wickham was sort of impressed with how they they've stuck with their manager. You know, no matter what, going up and down. And I think yeah. But yeah, I think but certainly by Millwall standards, by Championship standards, three years is um it's probably the shelf maximum shelf life of a manager really. So, um, I was going to ask a question. I'm, I'm almost answering the question in my own head as I'm as I'm going to yeah. ask it to you. So it's unfair, really, because. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone can actually answer this question, but I was just trying to think of managers who were loved at the then, and they're actually quite mm. few and far between, really. I mean, I'd say Neil Harris because of his playing career, but then his managerial achievements too, Nick mm. um, Yeah. And Kenny, Kenny Jacket, did he fall into the loved? Probably did to some extent. He was certainly sorry to see him go uh, when he when he went. Otherwise, it's. There aren't many that really that every you know like politics. Every Millwall management job finishes in a, in a kind of a, 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 a tumult, doesn't it? You know, they, they never, yeah. It's, yeah, you I don't leave they, loved, do you? No, I mean, not only is that sort of the nature of football management, but it's definitely it's the nature of football fans or certainly Millwall fans. And I think it reminds me of um, you know talking about the Rhino and Macca era, and I yeah. think uh, when Theo Pafit is appointed them. He made public, I think he even said it in his programme notes, he basically said, when I gave him the job, I said, you do realise one day I'm going to have to sack two Millwall legends. Because he knew, <laughs> yeah, because he knew by the very nature of football management, you know, it's, um, well, I think... It's a ruthless business. It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, going back to my college days, I think, is it the Peter Principle? I think there was a thing we went back called the Peter Principle, where you get promoted and promoted in a job yeah. until you get to a position you can't do it anymore and you, 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 you know, you totally fail and everyone hates you. So I think that's that's the way. I think that's the way it is management. I mean, some some managers have got it off to a fine art. People like Mourinho and that, will, and I think Ericsson did it. They'll just they'll be in demand purely because of their reputation. They'll take the job, 
take the money and you know and then just <laughs> if it all goes wrong just walk away with it you know with another big sack of money but um yeah it's an interesting question. I mean, on total tangent, really, off from what we, we started to, to uh, the, the purpose of today's call, listeners. But I was watching um, Rangers get slaughtered last night by Liverpool, yeah. um, yeah. which is a, a turnaround in form for Liverpool. Um, and Jurgen Klopp, I suppose, would come as close to adulation as as any manager, maybe Guardiola, I don't know, but certainly mm. Jurgen Klopp has come close to a kind of like almost a, a physical embodiment of. Uh, a club, uh, and thereby half, at least half of the city, possibly the whole city, you could argue. But yeah. anyway, in recent times, a very successful manager and, and, yeah. and, a, and a man with a very strong personal image. But mm. of course, it only lasts as long as you're winning stuff. And this season, Liverpool, until last night, I suppose you'd argue, maybe last few games, have started to show glimpses of the of the side that they, they were and some would yeah. say still should be. Uh, but, you know, even Jurgen Klopp, I mean, you know, haggard looking, you know, was it the, the private mm. eye description, ashen faced Ron Lee on the side of the yeah. of the field. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a very strange uh, profession, isn't it? You, you you really are only as good as your last couple of results in, in football. Yeah, right? definitely. And the funny thing with Klopp is there's this seven year theory. Have you heard this? Where he's only no. spent, he only spent no. seven years at his previous two clubs. Dortmund. After seven years, yeah, yeah things, things okay. started to go wrong and... And, you know, bizarrely, even now, you're in a few Liverpool fans on all the phone-ins and stuff, starting to have a few murmurs about, you know, yeah, the change, which is, is, you know, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. I don't, I don't think you'll ever see another Fergie or Wenger, to be honest. I don't think those days... Lasting that for 20 years or so yeah, in the yeah, job. They're, def they're definitely long gone because everyone's just too impatient. I think you even get League Two fans who ask a couple <laughs> of defeats want the manager out, you know, would... I mean, you think back to when we started going to Millwall, you wouldn't, you know, you, you, you wouldn't dream of no. questioning the... Hound, uh, it took yeah. a lot to hound out a manager. I mean, I'm just looking at actually yeah. at a manager. I mean, going back a long while here, listeners, so forgive me. I mean, obviously, Benny Fenton, eight years, eight and a half years, mm -hmm. just short, which is which stands aside. But I mean, even someone like Gordon Jago, I, I, I suppose, left in a, under a quite specific cloud, really, yeah. given what else was going yeah. on. But he was three, three yeah. years in the job. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I wonder. I'm just looking at the, the the numbers on on the Mill History website, which is a go to website. Listeners, if you ever mm. want to do a podcast, I, I recommend you read up on Mill History because you'll sound like you know what you're talking about, <laughs> like I do. Um, but I mean, you know, Gary Rowett's record is, is is win rate, which is you know, I suppose you can argue statistics. Thirty eight and a half percent. This is not far short of Neil Harris's. Not far short. Yeah. Of, Kenny Jackets and uh but then you got Willie Donerkey on a win rate of forty two and a half percent. Yeah <laughs> St <right>. statistics definitely yeah. I mean I funny <laughs> I think last week I saw a post on Twitter. Um I think it was after the Rotherham game. Um someone said um basically we're no better off under route than we were under Neil Harris. And I was about to reply and sort of make the point that I believe you know I'm not hundred percent happy with the way we we're playing. No, I do believe, no. believe Rowett's taken us from a team that's grateful to avoid the bottom three into a team that's expecting to burst into top six. Then I looked at the table and I thought, well, if you want to be really pedantic about it, we're almost exactly three years on from when we sat Neil Harris and we're in a similar sort of league position because, you know, the fact that we finished in the top eight in the last three seasons is really is academic because the championship moves it's so by the far. Yeah. yeah, there's so much, there's so much money sloshing around, so much spending power. And if you think if you've got teams like Middlesbrough and West Brom struggling, then 
I know a lot of Millwall fans hate it when we we say this, but we are punching above our weight. You know, I mean, you have to sort of be fair. I mean, I say I've been critical of Rowett in in the, in the previous months, but you do have to think about exactly what sort of job he's got on. Our average attendance is about is it about twelve, thirteen thousand? It's in that bracket. Which, I'll have a look yeah, actually whilst which, I've got the. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think on a club on our sort of resources playing in the, or competing in the championship, I think it's like going to Las Vegas for two weeks and taking 50 quid spending money. You know, you've got to, it's not, you know, the money's yeah. soon going to run out and you're going to have to gamble sooner or later. And, uh, or if, if you don't want to gamble, you play it careful. But, um, yeah, but, yeah I, I, mean, I know what you mean. Yeah. With 13, 13 and a half thousand, which is yeah, pretty good. It's it good, um, yeah. But it compares, um, with the, uh, era under Neil Harris towards the mm. the kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, higher, you know, the, the better the better kind of periods under Neil yeah, Harris. Yeah. But it compares very favourably with I'm saying managers who were loved, and I'm I'm, I'm mentioning Kenny Jacket, but also the early period of Neil Harris, where you, albeit yeah. a different division, but you know, eight thousand, ten thousand, yeah, twelve thousand. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's it, it's a hard one. Um, will you, if he does go? I mean, we, we the, the the article on London News Online is is ambivalent, really. Merv's whether he is yeah, or yeah. isn't interested in the yeah. job, mm. probably never get an answer on that. Would you miss no. him if he goes? I, I, I... <laughs> that. A, I know. I've had I've had that many discussions on on Twitter about this. You know, you, you, if you start to get a bit fed up with, with what's going on, and people say, "Well, who are we going to get instead?" Then and and yeah. there's always that for me. There's always that sort of better the devil you know situation or you know we, we do have a we do have a bit of a reputation for giving the wrong man the job thinking about Lomas and Holloway um, yeah we don't change managers very well or very easily well I, I suppose no, we you don't. Can argue that we no, did so, Harris to Rowett Harris, um, Harris to Rowett was a was a was a good a good move but um there's a real shortage of you know ideal candidates around now and I uh, someone mentioned uh Cowley at Portsmouth yesterday but you know, I'm not. I'm not sure if he's fully, you know, justified oh. that reputation he built at Lincoln. Really, I mean, I think he was badly treated at Huddersfield. I think he's doing okay at Pompey. But um, yeah, one thing I would say with uh, Gary Rowett, and you know, we can we can talk till the cows come home about the poor yeah. quality of the football, and it has been. I mean, you mm. you know, uh, uh, one of the uh, someone replied, Tony Monday replied back to me today on online mm. talking about the kind of general, I don't know if it's celebratory mood that Rowett might be moving on, but there's certainly some, um, you know, some fans out there, a lot of fans perhaps who would not be too sad to see him move on. Yeah. But the point being made that we've, we, we've been now become a consistent top half of the championship level performer as a club in the last yeah. few years or yeah. so, which is pretty good. Again, when mm. you look at, you know, the period we're going to be looking at is, is the achievement mm. of championship football from the third tier, yeah. which has been historically Absolutely. Millwall's shuttle, isn't it? You know, upwards yep. and downwards. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that we've attracted some decent players under Gary Rowett. Now, would, would we attract decent players? But we, we did under Neil Harris to some extent. Um, yeah, I think, I think Rowett will, came will in. Will we have anybody else? I don't know. It's, it's hard, yeah. isn't it? It's this funny when Rowett came in a few months after one of our biggest sort of summer transfer windows ever. You I mean you had um, Matt Smith and Bod Varson yeah. and Bar, yeah. and obviously they didn't all and work Scan out. Scanac, I mean these were expensive players. Oh, you know. Totally forgot about him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think yeah, and I think Rowett got hold of that squad and thought, well, I can do a little bit better with this, and and, and took them on. But it was yeah. Neil Harris's squad. I think he spent the three years so far 
um, sort of whittling it down and bringing in his own players. Well, I say that, but I'm not sure. I mean, apparently we were chasing um, Fleming and uh, Vogelslammer for three years. So I wonder if that, apparently wonder so. if that yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if that precedes Rowett's tenure and if that says, says something about the uh, recruitment process. But, you know, he's got, he's, he's got what he describes as his strongest ever squad, which yeah. makes, makes, makes the, uh, the tactics or the way the way we sort of play a little even more disappointing, really. Because I think there's a lot of, I mean, I think, I mean, I always believe certain teams, football, all football clubs, have their own sort of DNA. And I think we've Mill have always played, have always been better when they're playing sort of high tempo, not not direct as such, but sort of high tempo football. And all the good teams, Mill teams, I remember had like pacey wingers and you know strong centre forwards and that sort of thing. And it, it sounds a bit of a cliche and a bit of a generalisation, but you know, it, it's, it's absolutely. I think it's Absolutely. the nature of the fans. I mean, classic example of so I went to Blackpool but back in January it was. And, uh, you know, the fact there was a good turnout there. The fans were in good voice. And we were just this whole containment, this whole do, just don't lose thing, you know. And and it's literally silenced the away fans to the point where the Blackpool fans were sort of taking the piss out of us. And you, and you thought, that's a, that's a sort of a direct reaction to the football we're playing. You know, there's only so much you can uh, cheer the team on and, 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 and try and rouse them if they're sort of just passing it backwards and forwards to each other. <laughs> not crossing the halfway line. And on that day, I think Blackpool had, had a very average side, Blackpool. They had one player that stood out, and that was the, the winger, Bowler, who's gone now, because he's, you know, he's a cracking yeah. player. And everything went through him. And, of course, it was him that led to the goal. And suddenly we're 1-0 down, and Rowett thinks, oh, I'll bring Tyler Bury on. And it was, we were transformed. You know, we were suddenly we were on the front foot. We were attacking. The defence looked visibly scared every time he got the ball. But because they were 1-0 up already, they could afford to sit back and stick two on him and and afterwards Rowett said oh I was hoping to sort of um I don't know what it was I, I think he said I think he made his game plan was I was hoping to keep it new and new as long as possible then bring Tyler Bury on and maybe nick one but I don't yeah, think that sort of his approach, it? No, I don't think that sort of football works and I don't think I think it's it's a bit like in, in in cricket if you're trying not to get out in cricket you'll get out if you just play your natural game if you're batting I'm not a big cricketer to be honest I mean it sounds like it but I'm just I'm just repeating stuff that David Gower once said, I think, when I was watching the actors. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're batting and you're trying not to get out, then the chances are you will get out. You'll make a mistake, or if you just play your natural game, and which is what I don't think we're doing. I think I can imagine a lot of players are quite frust as frustrated as the fans, really. And um, I mean, there was a comment from Jed Wallace after we lost at home to Luton last year. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, but basically, basically praising um, Nathan Jones's style of football and how. He actually said how good it would be to play play that stuff. And I, and I sort of thought, I'm surprised no one really picked up on it because it's almost sounded like, God, I wish we played like that or, you know, we should play like that. Or Jed was such a creative player. And I do wonder if perhaps he was, even he was being stifled a little bit. But it would be quite you ironic. You do wonder. Yeah, yeah, you do wonder. Um, it would be quite ironic if Rowett ends up at, at West Brom because they've got the midfield that I think we should have now, which is um, Jay Malumby and Jeb Wallace. The game before lockdown when we won 3-0 at Forest. And Smith got a hat trick, and we absolutely battered them. And Malumbi was unplayable, and Bennett was was on fire, and that that was a real attacking team. You know, we we looked really really good for a, to, for a charge for the playoffs, and of course then COVID came in, and it all went it all went pear shaped. And since then, it seems to be very sort of over sort of careful. It's, it's bizarre. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Achtung, Mehlball. So we're going to be talking about Merv's new book, a continuation in what I call the Mill History series that you've been writing, Merv. You started in the in the seventies, and now you've moved through the the uh, the eighties and nineties, and, and 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 so on. And here we are reaching one of my favourite periods in Mill history. I, I I love this period. It's the early two mm-hmm. thousands. Um, which covers obviously um, promotion um, from the uh, as champions in 2000, 2001, and then the wonderful until it all fell apart surge towards the playoffs of 2001, 2002. Um, I'm just looking at the um, the Mill History website, and it just covers such a. It's almost a period that's that's um, it's like a jewel in my memory bank, Merv. It's a wonderful mm. period of time, isn't it? it was, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. what were your? I mean, you're, you, you've written the book. Um, yeah. what, what, what wonderful memories from, and what wonderful, wonderful players that we we were mm. fielding in these in these teams. It really stands Definitely. out, doesn't it, as a period of yeah. real history? Yeah, I think it's one of those sort of rare periods where everything just sort of clicked. You know, in, in a very similar way to the '87, '88 squad. Things yeah. were just. It must have been an absolute dream to manage for Mark McGee. Yeah. Um, and I think we had players that come out of the youth setup, people like Cahill, um, Reed, and Eiffel, who yeah. went from being promising young third tier players to being straight into candidates for Premier League football. You know, it, I've never seen yeah. that. Sort of, yeah, I think only in the I think only in in terms of maybe Teddy Sheringham, we've seen someone go from a young youth player to being that that good. And it was, it was brilliant to see. And you appreciate it even more now when you look back. You know, obviously, I'll go back and look at some of the the videos of, of the goals from that, that time. And you, you appreciate even more what what great players they were. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a load of talent fell into our laps. Because obviously, it comes out of the period of, well, initially, administration at the end of the 90s. Yeah, yeah under Theo, and then mm. what I call the, the near-miss season of tw- uh, 1999 to 
2000 where we saw the the the, the kind of framework of this side start to come together yes, definitely yeah which, yeah which was finishing playoff um heartbreak against Wigan mm. it became a bit of a bogey yeah. side for us at this point did, yeah. yeah Wigan seemed to be in our way a lot at this time as they well. were yeah it all started yeah. with that bloody auto glass a windscreens final <laughs> And, and then seem to be, yeah, they seem to become a bit of a nemesis after that until we sort of, uh, yeah, the promotion. I mean, you know, managers of uh, Rhino and 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 um, Macca, we've mentioned that already. Talking about yeah. Gary Rowan, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, th- I think as so often with Mill, I mean, Mill, people are often quite displeased whenever we appoint any manager because it's always the cheap option. And I suppose even Billy Bonds was a cheap option if you if you want. And both of those players, both playing legends in their own ways, were seen really at the start of their of their tenure as cheap options, weren't they? Very typically Millwall, cheap options. But they came they came good by developing a, the basis of a side that lives in the memory to this day for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the thing about Perfetis that I sort of learned when I'm going through this sort of period was um, he was always ready to admit if he got it wrong. And he admitted that he got the Billy Bonds appointment wrong. I don't think he appreciated the... Uh, strength of feeling amongst no. the all support with um, ex-West Ham players or managers. Um, but, I mean, Bonds, to be fair, was responsible for bringing the, the nucleus of that team through. I think he brought Nethercott in. He, he, he gave Harris, Neil Harris his debut, although that's another story because apparently he didn't want Neil Harris, but allegedly. But, um, but he got him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think Perfetis have realised he got it wrong and realised he needed someone with a... The, a Millwall identity, and and yes, yeah. I'm c- certainly, certainly, um, cost was a was an issue without a doubt. But I think once Rhino and Macca were able to sort of put their stamp on the team, if you like, I seem to remember Stephen saying he basically wanted every single team throughout from the academy up to the first team to play exactly the same system. You know, it was all, yeah. it was all quite quite straightforward. But you know, it's, it's you know you've got to have a plan. So many so many managers we've had. In recent years, don't seem to have a plan. They seem to make up as they go along. And, there's also and, no, yeah. no, there's no pretense on playing beautiful football. I mean, you know, the obsession, yeah. the modern obsession with um, yeah. passing the ball around. This was yeah. good old fashioned. I don't know if it was Route One, but it was certainly direct football, wasn't it? I mean, no, I think we've often you, been. You know, often players were assembled wrongly, to play that style. You know, yeah, yeah. But I think we've often been wrongly accused of being too direct. I think again, a classic example being the um, the, the team in the first division under the dock. And people say, oh, you're direct, you just hoofed it towards Cascarino and Shane. No, that's not the case. When you look at the games in more detail rather than just the goals, you know, we did play a lot of nice football. You know, we had a lot of good footballing players. And, you know, Herlock himself Absolutely. was a good player. Dorsey, you know, Carter, O'Callaghan, they're all good footballing players. So I think the Docs' motto at the time was they um, they uh, they win the battle first. They sort of stamp their, stamp their mark on the game, wear the opposition play down, the and then... They, yeah. Then they play the football, yeah, and that's a that's not a bad. And obviously, Rhino and McCleary were brought up on that ethos. They were big parts of that team under the dock. So I don't think there was any complaints about sort of instilling that into his teams, really. And it it did work no. to an extent, and it, it went very suddenly wrong, which was quite bizarre. Well, it's you often know, the way. I mean, I, th- I think it hmm. went wrong under under the dock. It went wrong really under Rhino and Macco, although the, the team would. Evolve in the in the uh, the you know the the, uh, the promotion and then the championship mm, season. Yeah, but yeah. it's quite interesting because obviously Neil Harris was also schooled in that no nonsense. I think probably that's a better way to yeah, put it. Yeah, approach yeah. the football. You you didn't um, you didn't pass the ball where it would serve no purpose. You got it yeah, forwards yeah. and played 
I suppose, as as, as you just said there, Murph, um, mm. played your football in the danger areas of the opposition, which um, yeah, yeah. fits it, it fits and captures a Millwall psyche. Really, this 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 period we're talking about, the early two thousand, captured the Millwall psyche, didn't it? I mean, the, mm. the football was yeah. no nonsense, like eighty eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so was this squad, you know, looking at mm-hmm. the names here. Yeah. You know, Denzel and Goal, you know, you, yeah. Robbie Ryan, Matt Lawrence, Nevercott, mm-hmm. Ifill, skillful players, Cahill, Neil Harris, yeah. Yeah. Lucas Neal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, direct, but played by skillful players. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a winning combination to some extent, it seems. At yeah, yeah. I think it's a, a system that always will always work for you in sort of the third tier. I think over the last 10 years, I think the quality, because hmm. of, of the Premier League, whatever, the parachute payments and stuff, I think I think it's got to a point where the Championship's probably now close to the standard the Premier League was maybe 20 years ago. So it doesn't work. You can't just, you know, you can't do it sort of Wimbledon style anymore. You can't bully your way oh. to success at that level, you know, in the same way. You won't be able to do it again in the, in the Premier League. So I think that's the problem. That's what you, what you come up against, which is why you perhaps see teams like Rotherham bouncing backwards and forwards, because they'll, they'll, they'll find it easy to get out of League One, but it won't work in the championship. I think that's the problem. That conundrum, which and, and you captured it very well there, actually. Is it's we're just gonna go back to Gary Rowett for a moment. Mm. That conundrum is what he's trying to solve because the the in the Millwall blood, in our DNA, is a desire to see a, a cross between 1988, 2000, 2001, and maybe Steve Morrison up front, maybe Neil Harris is managing it. We want this kind of approach and the probably the you know the the lessons of of looking at mill history certainly is that it runs out of steam at a certain point so you do need to bring something more um thoughtful which is what he's you know i i don't particularly defend gary rowett merv but that's what he's trying to do and and because you're not going to win with old school football like that are you no no i'm sure if if you add him here now and and put that to him he'd probably say well if we go gung-ho you know, in our next match against Bristol City and then against Watford or whatever, then we, we, there's a danger we can get picked off and you can be... We'll get beat, yeah. Down, yeah, 2-0 down before there's anything you can do about it. But then, I mean, at Sheffield United this season, you know, we were playing carefully again and within 20 minutes we were 2-0 down, so... Yeah, you know, yeah around, the, around the right uh, circle you go, yeah. Exactly, so there's there's an argument again for... Um, I, think, I think there's always been an argument for playing to your players' strengths or, or at least... Being a bit more uh, flexible, I think, but now he seems to be hell bent on this certain formation, which I think it's five at the back. I don't like to get involved in tactical talk because it's sort of. No, <laughs> I, I just find it, especially, especially, on, especially on social media, when I find all these long threads about false tens and five at the back, <laughs> five at the back when you're in possession and three at the back, or five at the back when you're not. I just find myself nodding off to sleep because I don't think it's yeah I don't think it's particularly interesting. But I, I think the I think, sad truth, yeah. Merv, is we come from a generation yeah. brought up on Teddy and Cass. <laughs> yeah, front. yeah, and I've, I've always thought I've always maintained football is a very very simple, very simple sport compared to most others, and I think it's easy to overcomplicate it a lot of the time. And I and I think people say, oh, well, you can't play four four two now because of whatever whatever. But mm. the, the fact remains, football pitches are still very wide. <laughs> And if you've got yes. two players, yeah, if you've got two players who are very quick and skillful, like like an Eiffel, then, you know, no, no defence is going to be out of, you're going to cause defences problems. And for me, I think it's that straightforward. And yet we haven't under Rowett, maybe not even under Neil Harris particularly, played with any sort of sort of pace or had anyone who, obviously Jed Wallace would, would run at teams, at teams. But yeah. 
just feel like we're lacking that um that sort of slightly more high tempo which i think tyler bury brings but he doesn't seem to have faith in him starting which is strange a strange one no, I suppose um, Tyler Bury's is close to um, a number of times people have said on 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 the podcast we lack width, we width width mm-hmm. width, and Tyler yeah. is as close to yeah. a Paul a Paul Ifill, um, yeah. a, a Jimmy Carter. You know the these yeah. these figures are um, imprinted on uh, even even the uh, you know the Christoph Kinney to some extent. These, yeah, these figures absolutely. are more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know imprinted on the Millwall Millwall memory. I'm just looking at mm-hmm. the one. One of my favourite, I mean, it may, because I come from the seventies, listeners, I probably would have to go mm-hmm. back to the, to some of the seventies and the eighties, certainly the promotion season. But two thousand, two thousand and one promotion season uh, is one of my uh, top three seasons ever. Mm, um, the, yeah. the, these are the days that you uh, that you, you live with, you know, in, in your mm-hmm. memory to the end of your days. Just looking at yeah. it, it's surprising how much we dominated that division. We were we went first, top of the league just before Christmas. 2000 and, and stayed yeah. there well, we, we, we had a bit of a wobble in march and i sort of go into a bit of detail of that in the in the book because um mm. we um we had a, just a really weird march where we, we we suddenly went off the boil um and we played bristol city on a friday night match and it all kicked off in, uh, towards the end and yeah we ended up having we, had, we ended up having moody and harris sent off which ruled That's them out right. for a few games yeah that's and, what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And suddenly we were very short on strikers. Um, Rotherham and Reading had just picked up form from nowhere and they they'd appeared from nowhere. And I think Rotherham actually took over from the at the top from us for a little while. We had yeah. Rotherham to play at home. We had no well, no strikers. We'd had you know very few strikers. And so Mickey had to go out and get he bought you got Steve Claridge and Tony Cotty in the transfer window. Um <laughs> but also, yeah, also uh Richard Sadlier, who was had a terrible time of injuries. Was just coming back from injury from another injury layoff. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, he came into the side and he literally he just hit the ground running. He was just absolutely fantastic, and that was you know some of his best form. I think we played four home games in a week or something ridiculous. We I think we battered Rotherham, then we beat yeah. Stoke and Port Vale, and that was that little run that just just as it just just as you thought. I mean, it was shades of the previous season when at one one point in ninety nine two thousand we had a chance to get automatic promotion with just with three matches in a week if we'd won them and we managed to lose two of them. I think it was Burnley and Preston and then we drew it home to Gillingham and suddenly we were struggling to get a playoff place and for a little while when Rotherham and Reading sort of caught up with us, it looked like that was going to happen again. But those those four matches or three matches in a home matches in a week where we battered Rotherham and beat Port Bell and Stoke and sadly it was so good coming in. It was just, it, that, that was it then. We just put us in pole position. I think the, the icing on the cake that season was the 5-1 at Cambridge where yeah, I wonderful evening. Wonderful evening. Yeah, hat trick, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, one of the best hat tricks you'll ever see, which is absolutely stunning. And that was, I think, when we knew we were up then and we knew we were a class above the rest, really. Yeah, 5 1 away at mm, Cambridge yeah. United. Um, that followed one of my favourite fixtures of the season, one that I can still remember, flash memories of now, as I'm speaking, listeners, that was the Thornhill oh, yeah. Rotherham at home. Yeah. Where I think was it Ronnie Moore was managing Rotherham. He said they they were beaten as they got off the coach, didn't they? Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. it was, it, the atmosphere yeah. was was huge. It was. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. It was. It was, it was Carriage's home debut when he got a, a couple of goals, didn't he? I think. And yeah, it was just it was right. one of those days where everything just went right, and there was always that fear in the back of your mind that we <clears throat> we'd maybe choke or Ron would nick, would nick a win. But it was no doubt right from the first whistle. Like you say, the atmosphere was just was it was amazing, and that was yeah, that was one of the one of the top. One of my top games as well, to be honest. 
Absolutely. Uh, and then obviously the famous away draw at Wrexham. Which, mm. um, to, yeah. Did that secure promotion? Did it secure the championship? I, I, I can't remember which way around it that was. was yeah, that, that secure promotion. Um, I think we, we, we needed a win, but I think Reading blew, uh, blew it at Colchester. I think Reading lost to Colchester that day. Yeah. Um, so it meant promotion was guaranteed. A point was enough. And I think we just needed a point or we needed a, yeah, to, to avoid defeat at home to Oldham to win the title. But again, there's another one. Where, amply. Yeah, well, we amply avoided the yeah, against Oldham, didn't that, we? That was never in any doubt. And that contained one of the best goals I think I've seen. And that's um, Stephen Reed's blockbuster. Yes. You know, I've never, ever, I was behind that goal and I've never seen a ball hit so hard in my life. It's just incredible. The way, the, way, the, way, yeah, the, way, the way he could strike a ball, his technique was, was, was scary. You know, Again, you don't Absolutely. appreciate it until you look back and you look at one after the other, the goals. He got two at Rotherham that season, even though he lost 3-2. But he's, yeah, his technique, his composure, the way he hit a ball. Um, Wonderful. You know, sort of on the sweet spot every time, he just absolutely smacked it in. So he fully deserved to, to you know, to go on. I don't think anyone begrudged him or or um, Kale when, when they eventually left for the Premier League. I don't think any, any fans truly begrudged them because they were good servants and they were just such good players and they deserved to to, to be on a bigger stage, really. But um but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We, we would, of course, finish champions of, I think it was called Division Two back then, wasn't it? It was still called Division. Yes, it was Division Two, yes. third mm. tier in third division mm. in my old days. Yeah, third tier, mm. Division Two. Mill will be champions, two points ahead of Rotherham. Um, top scorer for the season with 28 goals, mm. <laughs> Neil Harris. Um, yeah. and closely followed by a wonderful cameo player, really, in, in terms of Mill history. but what a contribution from Paul Moody. 14 oh, Moody goals. Was Moody was one of those players who, when you saw him scoring goals for other teams, I think it was Oxford he was at mostly. You saw yeah. the sort of play, you thought, I wish we could sign him. You know, he would. You knew you knew he would do well at Millwall. And when we did sign him, I think other players like that, I think Claridge was a similar player, um, Dave Mitchell. Um, yep. Carlos Edwards, funny enough, you know, not, not just talking about strikers. I always remember Carlos Edwards thinking what a great player he looked and thinking he would work really well at Millwall when he did. Um, and it, it, it was, yeah, Moody was just, he was such a professional. He was so, so professional. I think Very was, strong player. Um, mm. but actually, actually quite skillful. I remember, I can't remember which. Yeah. He scored he was. He scored against, um, I have a sense it might have been um, Oxford, but I could be wrong. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, he was a big man. And mm. like, a lot of, like a lot of big men, they're often quite delicate on their feet. And he, you yeah, know, he was known, known as, a, yeah. as a battering ram, Merv, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he, he pulled a little kind of a, a little jink inside the. Mm. Um, I think it was Oxford. I could well be wrong. I think it was. I think um, you're right. Yeah, it done a little kind of shimmy on the ball. I thought, wow, that's mm. that's not what you expect from a player of his um, mm -hmm. physicality. Um, yeah, definitely. Great, great striker. And then obviously Tim Cahill on ten goals. Mm. I mean, three double double figure. I know. Yeah. <laughs> goal scorers yeah. for the in yeah. all comps. Yeah. In all comps. Yeah. Um, wonderful. The, the 5 0 win over Oldham was, I mean, we've we touched on Reed's goal already, but it's mm. just a wonderful one of those sunny days that lives in your memory, a bit like Definitely. 1988 yeah. for us old, older yeah. fans. Absolutely. Um, and the kind of day where you would, um, you'd, you'd love to go back to just for uh, just for a moment, just to experience yeah. it again. But absolutely, the, the thing was that at this period, this was a bit of a golden era, really, because we had success mm. built on success. We would then get promoted, obviously to what was called Division One, the championship mm -hmm. now, where we would surge towards the playoffs, Merv. It was a wonderful season to be it, a Millwall fan, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it got off to a bit of a weird start because I think we, we had Norwich at home first. We battered them 4-0. Then we travelled to Birmingham and we were 4-0 down at half-time. So it sort of... That's right. Yeah, it sort of made us realise, well, perhaps we're not going to, you know, perhaps we're not going to have it all our own way. And, and we had a bit of a stuttery start. I think we got beat home to Burnley. Um, yeah. I think the turning point at the start of the season was when we went to Palace and we beat them yes. 3-1 there. And when you watch the yeah. footage back of that, the, the way we dominated them, and the way we just picked them off was just, you know, we. It's like we just the second half, especially when it, it, it we went in at one all. I think I think it was, and once That's we got right, the lead, yeah. no, yeah, there was there was no way we were going to relinquish it. And you look at it and you think it should have been another, it should have been another, another West Ham Mother's Day massacre. Really, it should have been four or five or six one. It would have been good to it really humiliate them. It was, yeah. Was, we just, yeah. I was living over in Croydon. Ah, right. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful day yeah. to be a Millwall fan in the most of that, you know. Yeah, but um, but things I think they just seem to kick up again in the new year, and I think we did briefly get to second spot. Um, I think we, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, I, yeah. Think we beat, I think we beat, beat Watford. I think in midweek in January we were second, and I think I think there's a few factors that season that probably stopped us from getting automatic promotion. One was I think that Kevin Keegan's Man City was so dominant, and you know, they was only ever going to be. One, mm. one, one, top other, team, one, yeah. one place up for grabs, really. Yeah, and um, yeah, and obviously, we had bad luck with injuries again. You know, but obviously, we lost sadly. Uh, I mean, he was fairly ably replaced by Dion Dublin, but um, and you do have to wonder, and obviously, there's far more serious things that, that, than mere football matches, but obviously, again, I touched on it in the book. But you do have to wonder what would have happened if we'd had a fully fit Neil Harrison, Richard Sadlier in that season. Yeah. I think we, I think we would have comfortably got second place, but. Obviously, Harris' yeah. cancer diagnosis um, took him out for the season, pretty yeah, much, didn't it? Put, it? Yeah, yeah. Put, put things in perspective, and yet he was able still to come back and score that memorable goal at Watford on New Year's Day, which is uh, yeah. yeah, again another Wonderful. golden moment, really. Yeah, which and it it shows the spirit of of the guy, really. And um, but yeah, it was a shame. I think we had injuries, to, a few injuries to Kale, Tim Kale as well, at, at sort of vital moments. We had a again, terrible we March. I'm just looking yeah, at the results. March seems to be the month for Millwall for some reason. We um, I think we lost. We were the eyes of March. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, um, we lost. At yeah. yeah, and we lost. Yeah, I think we lost over Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and That's McGee right. had bought in. Yeah, yeah, McGee had bought in um, McPhail on loan. McFarlane, and, um, there's a name, there's a name from the Steve, past that just Stephen McFarlane, and he had an absolute nightmare, got sent off. Uh, we lost <laughs> to a late goal, then we went to Sheffield United. I think we were 2 1 up with five minutes to go and still got beat. And yeah, yeah. The, the season the season seemed to be unraveling again in March, but um, you know, we pulled it around. Dublin was, was brilliant considering he was only on loan for a few matches, you know. And, yeah, I mean, um, it, was, it was an able servant. I mean, we turned it around with was. Feet, yeah. Stockport 3 0, and then yeah, huge, yeah. huge night. I remember this game against Wolves, Wolves 17. Yeah, it was yeah. It's one yeah, of those massive nights, Merv, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, there are yeah. certain nights where you can almost touch the atmosphere, and, and we'd, yeah, we'd, we'd win it by um, a Claridge penalty. penalty, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the way Claridge was so cool when he, he just, just picked himself up. And just just stuck yeah. it away as if it was a, a a training ground penalty. You know, it was that was. I think that was the having people like Claridge and Dublin in the squad. You know, it's it's their experience more than anything else. And I think this massively experienced you know, players. And I, and I think um, this this is the this is true of when we had Kale back as well for his second spell, and we went on that that amazing run, which almost ended in you know a playoff place under Neil Harris yeah. in twenty seventeen, I think, or twenty eighteen. Um, 
people say, well, you know, you never played, you never scored. But I think just having his presence around the club, so experienced at Premier League level, international level, but mostly at Millwall level. You know, he, he knows what it takes to be a successful Millwall team. And I think people like that. I mean, I've when we have the manager debate on on, on Twitter or whatever, mm. I've, I've often brought up the name of Stephen Reid, who's a very accomplished coach. You know, obviously he's, he's backed away from the game at the moment because of various personal reasons. But And people yeah. have sort of shot me down and said, oh, just because he played for Mill doesn't mean he's going to be a good coach or a good manager. But it's not the it's not just the fact that he's played for Millwall. He's one of the, you know, there are very few Millwall players who go on to sort of um, top flight success, international success in, in yes. various ways. Yeah. You know, yeah. People like sharing, you know, there's very few that do it. You know, like Cahill went and played in the Premier League for Everton in World Cups for Australia. Stephen Reid, people forget, I think, has coached in the Premier League. He's coached in that Scottish national team. You know, the sort of he experience, has, yeah. yeah, the sort yeah. of experience that you'll bring from that alone. And then you you bolt onto that, the experience of being in a successful Millwall team. I think yeah. it's a, it's a win, winning combination, but, you know, it's, it's never going to happen. In the same way as we're never going to get Sean Dyche down there as manager, which if if Rowett does go, that's um that's the name that's going to be banded about. But there's there's absolutely no chance of that. Not on five million. I think Dyche Dyche would be too expensive for us now. He, would, yeah, having, he, was, he was on he was on five million a year at Burnley, and I think he's yeah. holding out for um for that for for a, a Premier League job, you know. And I think once yeah. we get close to the transfer window, Premier League clubs will be looking to change, and then I think he'll be a prime candidate. But I mean. Yeah, the, the dream team for me, and it sounds a bit too idealistic, but I think having people like Dyche and Reed and Cahill, you know, behind the scenes with their all their experience, all their non-mill experience, but more importantly, their actual mill experience of all being in the same successful team would be, I think, I think that would be a dream ticket, but it's, it's one we're never going to have, unfortunately. No, that will be that will be a dream. Um... <laughs> I think so. We would eventually get into the playoffs mm-hmm. after a win over Grimsby, and I'm going yeah. to gloss over the playoffs, Merv. I, I yeah, think I think we better add. Yeah, <laughs> on this show, we've, I think we've, I, you know, I think we've all done it to death over time. Yeah, but yeah, we, we yeah. would fail at the last against Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Achtung, Milbay. History. I always found the 2002-3 season. I mean, it kind of lived in the shadow of the events of. Yeah. At the end of, of uh, 2001, 2002, and mm. we never quite kick started. It's a, it's a strange, in the midst of all of these seasons, I just listed them out to before Merv and I spoke, listeners, and there's like success on success. And then mm. right in the middle of it, one very forgettable season yeah. of 2002, three, where effectively nothing much happened, really, did it? it was, no, it was, it was very a much. Season. Yeah, I think in the book, I, I called this particular spell the, the hangover, and it was very much a hangover yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. Um, similar to the season following the um, Derby playoff defeat, 93-94. Yeah. 94-95 was very quiet. It was like the, the club didn't really want any any incident. They didn't want to put their head above the parapet at all and then almost thinking, oh, don't don't go for promotion because something might go wrong. And I think it was similar. And, of course, the season started with a 6-0 home drubbing from Rotherham. Yeah. Which, sure. In fact, yeah. I was looking at – I've got an old edition, mm. the Lion Roars here still, where they right. published um, – yeah. Like a list of criminals wanted for you know. Yeah, have you yeah. seen these men? You know, um, yeah. Great, great so front page. Yeah. yeah, and there's various conspiracy theories. And one of the frustrating things about writing this book was I was able to unearth so many anecdotes about mainly involving the chairman, but none mm. of which I could use because obviously I don't <laughs> want to get sued. No, I but, um, and, yeah, and they're all yeah. I mean, they're all supposition. They're all they're all um, you know conspiracy theories. But of course, one of the conspiracy theories at the time was that the players had been promised. <clears throat> 
certain bonuses because of the success yeah. of the previous season. But because of the of what had gone on and the enforced membership scheme and then that, that wasn't possible. So this was like Money their, was their short. Money was short. Yeah, so this was their yeah. protest game apparently. But there's never that's never been substantiated. It's all no it's all no. um no it, it's all water cooler talk. But um but yeah, it was a very bland season. But I think you sort of you need one of them when you've had a, a rocky season the, the one before. Um yeah and um I think I think what one thing I did mention in the book is one of the unsung heroes of that that period was um, Ray Harford. Um, yes, who I think big, big loss when he passed away for the club. Yeah, I think I think talking about that change from when Stevens and McCleary left and McGee took over, uh, I think what what was probably more instrumental in that period than people realised was I think Harford went from perhaps a purely advisory position. He probably just you know just just lent Rhino and Mac had the benefit of his experience as and when they needed it. So I think perhaps he was given a bit more of a say. More active, and think, yeah. yeah. And I think his experience really brought on the younger players. I think that's what helped him make that leap. And, uh, of course, yeah, he, he passed away at the start of the 2003-2004 season, I think. Yeah, um, another, another, yeah. another lot of the club. One thing yeah, that's always which, struck yeah. me is... Um, you know, we, we we talk a lot about John Berylson not being mm. a ruthless chairman, though, and, and maybe yeah. he hangs on his loyalty. Some might say um, goes on, you know, further than than, than maybe it should sometimes. But, yeah. But, but, yeah. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is another mm. question. But Theo could be quite ruthless when push came to shove, couldn't he? I mean, you, you've mentioned already he he knows when who he knew when to make a change, I and mean, he made a change. Absolutely. Yeah. Early in the 2003-04 season, when when McGee was was axed and then came, what would turn out to be a very successful duo of, of Dennis Wise and, and Ray Wilkins, another very experienced man, of course. Yeah, yeah, I think the team at the time was crying out for a bit of experience on the pitch. Um, I think it was no no secret that um, I think Wilkins was a Theo was a friend of Wilkins, I think, and in turn Wilkins um, enabled Theo to sign Dennis Wise, who Palace were keen on sign at the time, and yeah. That, that that led to another quite funny chapter in the, the saga of Theo Pafitis versus Simon Jordan, which he would use his <laughs> he would use his pro he would use his program notes to sort of like, you know, do his bit. And it was actually quite comical. And then in truth, they were like good mates, and yet it was yeah, yeah. For, to use that horrible word banter. But I mean Banks. he actually yeah. I mean, he actually he actually did a program piece just after we signed Wise, basically mocking Palace for not getting you know, Palace had done a piece in their program slagging Millwall off and questioning Wise's ambition for signing for Millwall. So yeah. it was in that piece that in that piece that Pafitis uh, dubbed them as crippled crippled Alice and playing at Smellhurst <laughs> Park. You know, real five year old playground stuff. But for the chairman of a that is club, so they used that, that knocking around. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Lord. Yeah. You know. So it was yeah, you, you had to admire it really, you know, and I think it was a and as I say, so, so Wise come and Dennis Wise was one of those players again that split opinion. You know, a lot of fans weren't keen, and others thought he could be good. And, and to be fair to him, I think he made quite an impact on the playing side. And McGee it seemed is. to lose his way. Yeah, and there was a few. I mean, of course, it was well. <clears throat> it was the era of Bob Peters, of course. He's yes. a uh, yeah, an everlasting mill enigma who come in, did very little, then got a last minute equaliser against Palace, and then. Two absolutely cracking goals at Gillingham, yeah. um, and then su- suddenly, even though he was scoring, he was out of favour. And I think it was I think we, played, we played, yeah, we played Preston at home, and the the, the the team selection was very bizarre. And I think we got beat, or it might have been a draw, and that was it. And McGee was out, and um, 
in came, and then when, in yeah, came yeah. and Wilkins. Yeah, I yeah, think and it followed um, a, a formation change. Another another current, um, you know, hot hot potato at the moment. Formation changes, mm. I think. Didn't yeah, uh, I know. Peterborough was it? Was it? Was it five? The five three two? No, Preston. Sorry, Preston. Mm, um, yeah, he totally changed their formation. Some say yeah. it was like a uh, almost you know sack me kind of um, move. Well, yeah, by the same. She didn't follow. But um, but yeah, the Wise era got off to quite a shaky start. I think we won the first match under River Forest, but I think then we went four without a win. Yeah. Um, and at the time, Perfitis was saying he was actively looking for a new manager. He'd had sixty applicants. Um, we'd, we'd gone four matches about a win, and so we're thinking, well, one of these 60 better come in quick. And next thing you know, Wise and Wilkins have got the job permanently, which, you know, is a bit of an eyebrow raiser. But mm. <clears throat> I think it's fair to say once they got the job permanently, they started to bring in their own players, um, which got us Danny Dicchio and, you know, Marshall yeah, yeah. in goal. And yeah. I think most notably, um, Kevin Muscat was a different player, you know, initially under McGee and more perhaps maybe more notably Archie Knox, who was McGee's new right hand man who had a bit of a reputation, a bit of a fearsome reputation. I think Musk, yeah, Muscat started out as someone who just went around kicking people and getting himself sent off and suspended. And then under the delicate, delicate defender as well. Um, yeah, yeah. strange combination of brutality Definitely. and skill, wasn't yeah. he? You know, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think it was his one of his first games, a televised match at Watford. And I think it was one all, and uh, he was just walking the ball out of the area, and the Watford bloke had a kick at him, and rather than just you know walk away or clear the ball, he turned mm. around and stamped on him and got sent off. And you we can't walk away months. from that. You can't walk away yeah. from that, man. No. You've got to stamp on no. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's, that's suddenly, the musket yeah. approach. <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly these you know this uh, Dickio, um, uh, Danny Dickio, and, and yeah. Muscat is, is, is providing the, the, the ammunition for Dickio to score the goals that would, would get us to the cup final. The, the, cup, the cup run, obviously, is the standout, standout event of the season. It but is. also a sense of what if, because... Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, this we we late late in the season we started to mount um, when you, a playoff run, yeah. but that would go off the boil, man, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was honestly it was actually quite heartbreaking reliving that season. I forgot how how good we were and on what a chance we had, probably our best ever chance to get into the Premier League without actually getting to the playoffs. Because when you look at what happened at the end of the season, obviously we, we wouldn't swap that day out at Old Trafford for anything, really, you know. But no. you can see the minute the minute we booked our place in the cup final. The, the, the league form went off a cliff. All the while we were no getting there, to get injured, did they? No, all the, all the while we were getting there, it was great, you know. And we'd actually gone from mid-table to, you know, quite firmly in the playoff places. Um, and the teams around us then were very, very average. I mean, there was a, there was a, mm. a, a there was a, a Sunderland team who were very average. West Brom who were, weren't great. A West Ham team, dare I say, who obviously we batted four-one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These were our possible playoff opponents, and all we had to do was keep that form going. Yeah. Um, but as you, as you say, I mean, I think two games after we beat uh, Sunderland in the Cup semi-final, we got battered four 0 by Coventry. I think we had about four or five four games. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, and and it was a shame because at the end of the season, while we were looking forward to the, the Cup final, you had a situation where Palace, who when we beat them, I think earlier in the season, were third from bottom. Palace yeah. nicked the sixth. Palace basically nicked the sixth place on the last day of the season. They struggled to beat a very average Sunderland team. Um, West Ham beat an awful Ipswich team who we were in shocking money trouble at the time and basically let us have Andy Marshall without any sort of 
restrictions to the point where he played for us against them while on loan to us at their place and we beat them quite comfortably and the the, the playoff final was West Ham versus Palace and bloody Palace won it you know coming from yeah. nowhere to finish sixth against a team that we battered 4-1 um so it was you went you sort of went to that cup final with a sense of a real bittersweet sense of thinking you know this perhaps should be yeah. the starter to the main course next weekend where we're playing West Ham for placing the, the, the Premier League, although God knows what would have happened with that. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say the cliche, the, 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 the loss of um, the loss of the, the playoff spot is one of the great what-ifs, and then, then you've mentioned the possibility that it would have involved the West Ham final. Mm, That's one of the great what-ifs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, given, given the... Um, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, given what the, you know, given how quite how quite lax the segregation was at the cup final, you know, oh, he was able yeah. to mingle freely with the United fans with not much issue, but I think it would have been a bit different seven days later. That would have, yeah, so maybe in well, one respect. One of the great what-ifs mm, in, in all senses of, of the words. Um, Absolutely. In that way, I mean, top scorer for the season that year was was uh, Tim Cahill with 12 and then Danny Deco. Yeah. Uh, mm. Neil Harris. Came in late, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Deco had eight mm. seasons. Um, and we'd finish in, in temp spot, but um, wonderful days i mean the sunderland semi-final lives through mm. in your mind you know as, as the mother's day massacre does but there's yeah, yeah. these these moments are what live with you forever um Definitely, cup yeah. final to some extent I, I i enjoyed the cup final but it was it was it was a bittersweet sense i think and we went into it quite um in we lost dikio hadn't we in, in, in lost the, in the yeah, to a really really harsh sending off at forest a couple of weeks before he basically got into a yeah. tangle with the forest defender Sort of thing that usually you get a ticking off for, maybe a yellow each, and the ref decided it was all about him and he was going to send them both off. We appealed it and there was no joy. And then, of course, Muscat actually did his knee in the sun, in the semi-final, I think. He did. Injured, wasn't he? And, yeah, yeah, that's right. So there, yeah. there was, they were two key players that would have given us perhaps a bit of a chance of giving Man United a game. But as it was, it yeah. was you know, it was the Ronaldo show, really. He absolutely dominated that match and gave poor Robbie Ryan a terrible time. Yeah, so, I mean that would that would be Ryan's Robbie Ryan's last game in the Millshire, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, straight, yeah. straight up against mm -hmm. Cristiano Ronaldo, world world yeah. class player. Yeah, um, football's a strange game in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the two thousand four final. I mean, we, we, you, you've described um, uh, two thousand two three as a hangover season. That was a bit of a hangover season as well. Does, does the book cover that season, Murph? It does. Yeah, that's the final one. Yeah, the, um, which would be famously the European excursion, and say then, the, the European tour. Yeah, yeah, and then a bit of a hangover. Otherwise, really, it was a bit of a nothing season apart from it, that. It was, you know. it was a strange one because I think it was the first time um, that Theo really started to get some stick from the fans. You know, we didn't get the best of starts. Um, mm. Like I said, the, the European adventure lasted just 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 the two games. Over the um, way, yeah, yeah, and um, and I think. I can't remember which game it was now. One of the one of the games, people started asking Theo where the FA Cup money had gone. Um, people were assuming that, you know, we'd, we'd made two and a half million quid out of the cup run. So where was it? Why can't you spend it where on players? players? Um, yeah. 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 And it was shortly after that that Theo announced he was stepping down into the season. Um, fans, sort of, uh, uh, some section of the support thought it was a direct result of that. But it actually wasn't. You know, he, he, he'd always planned to do it to step down. Because at this this time his TV career was taking off, Dragons Den yeah. and that sort of thing, and yeah, it did start yeah. to unravel very quickly. I mean, I think we um, we had a point where 
Wise, Dennis Wise really felt he only needed a few more additions to kick on from the previous season. Forget about the Cups, get, get the UEFA Cup out of the way and really go for promotion. Uh, he brought in Scott Doby, striker, yes. Barry Howes. Um, yeah. And, you know, he basically got, got what he asked for, which was a bit more investment in the team. He brought in Doby and Howes. And uh, we went into Christmas looking really good. I mean, the, the Doby, Howes and Dickio strike force was looking Combo, really yeah. good. Yeah, and I think we went into the new year in sixth. Uh, we played Rotherham at the Den. It's first game, league game of the new year. I think uh, yeah. the young, young Alan Dunn. There we are. Yeah. 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 A, a, yeah. young, a young Alan Dunn gave us the lead. Everyone was looking rosy. And then it all started to go wrong. Rotherham come back and beat us. Uh, a few weeks later, um, obviously because we were a, a listed company, our uh, uh, financial figures were revealed that we'd made a sort of a five or six million pound operating loss. Mm. Uh, literally within hours of that announcement, Doby was sold for the same for the same price we paid for him. Uh, Thirteen weeks after signing him, and the old familiar fire fire sale began basically. And we were you know sort of told that uh, you know we would have to sell players to make up the the, the, the losses. And I think yeah. Yeah, I mean, Theo Fafitis admitted at the time that, you know, he said that every season football's a gamble. Um, and up until then, the, the, the gamble had paid off. But for, for the first time, it, it actually hadn't. I think wages have gone up a million quid in the last 12 months. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just, um, it, it, I think it showed the importance of perhaps sacrificing that cup final place as, as good as it was for, for getting in the Premier League. Because had things worked out differently, had we perhaps... I don't know, maybe you lost lost to Sunderland at Old Trafford one yeah. 0 instead of winning one 0 and then gone on a little We'd run. We'd have been and... in the big time, Merv, wouldn't we? In the yeah, yeah, the yeah. at the top table. Yeah, and yet you couldn't you couldn't really imagine not having that FA Cup sort of uh, adventure to look back on. You know that that day in Sunderland and that KL goal and the celebrations afterwards were, and and the day at, at Cardiff, you know, was still great leading up to the kickoff. At least, you know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's 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 the nature of football, you know. That's 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 what it is. It's what it's, it always has been. It always will be. You're going to have a, a, um, an interesting period uh, last five years of the 2000 because the 2005 six season. Um, I'm taking it that's not included in this. In this, um, no, it's not. No, no. I've it's going to be your next phase. Yeah. yeah, that's that 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 was where the wheels. Well, they didn't just come off; they disappeared Ooh. into the um, well, and, well and truly, yeah, into the, 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 the side of the road some way. Yeah. Back, so. The short Look reign of Jeff Burnage, chairman, yeah, and the short <laughs> reign of Steve Claridge and Colin Lee and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's, that's all yeah, to that, come. yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. That's all to come in the next edition. Merv, I really take my hat off to you producing these these books. You and I have spoken a few times over over yeah. over time, and yeah. you 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 do what I keep telling myself. I should do something yeah. like that. I never do. I start with one paragraph what? and then. Well, once, once you do it. Once you do it, that's it. You get addicted to it, and it becomes a lot easier. But, uh, but yeah, I, but yeah, um, I've been yeah, I've been quite lucky to sort of find the time to do it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just enjoyable, you know. It's it's therapeutic, to be honest. As as, as much as I enjoy reading books, you know, to relax, yeah. I, I love I love writing as well, and sort of immersing yourself in the, the sort of various periods and surrounding yourself with programs and paper cuttings and, and videos of goals and stuff like that. It's really enjoyable, and I'm hope Wonderful. I hope that I am. I'm able to sort of relay the last sort of 20, 30 years anywhere half as good as Jim Murray did with Dines of the South, really. That's sort of the aim. Um, well, that's, that's, yeah, the, that's the bar. But, yeah. yeah, you are you are doing it. You are doing that, mate. Yeah. And yeah. I'll take my hat off to you. Um, 
So the name of the book, listeners, Daydreams and Nightmares, it covers the first five years of the 2000s, as the seasons we, that Merv and I have been speaking about, Millwall FC in the 2000s, part one. Part two probably won't include, well, we built towards some measure of success after a few years of tumult. But anyway, that's to come. 1099 listeners on victorpublishing.co.uk um, by Merv Payne. And, yeah, it's um, available. It's pre-order at the moment and it's out in November. So, um, yeah, so you can pre-order it now on, at Victor Publishing and then I think it's the 1st of November. It's out on Amazon and all the other, all that sort of, sort of paper. You can get, get your orders in. Christmas is coming. <laughs> get your orders in. Listeners. We, we will continue to mention it because I'm a big admirer of what Merv does here. Um, Merv, we, I want to say thank you for coming on. We, we finally made okay. the call. Um, we had a little bit of a rocky period, um, but we've overcome that. This is the mill story. We had a bit of a rocky period, and then we come through <laughs> with some success at the end of it. Yeah. Huge, huge thank you, Merv Payne. Thank you, Thanks, Merv. Nick. Thanks a lot. And thank you to you too, dear listeners. Expect to hear more adverts and mentions for Merv's book, Daydreams and Nightmares, 10.99 from victorpublishing.co.uk. Until the next edition of Achtung Millwall, it's uh, goodbye from me, Nick Hart, and Merv Payne. Arriva Dirty Millwall, and bye for now. Achtung, Millwall. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.